All right, everybody, welcome into the West Side Sports Podcast. My name, as always, is Dakota Esri. Welcome to the show. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, if you enjoy the content, please feel free to subscribe and drop a rating down below. Always appreciated. And with that being said, uh, this is going to be my second run of this. Unfortunately, I've been having some network difficulties today, but hopefully we can continue it all the way through to the very end. But we're, as always, we have an order of how this show goes. We start with around the world. We go to the Mariners, we go to the Seahawks, and then I have my closing remarks for today's podcast. And with that being said, let's just jump right into it. Around the world starts with Warriors defeating the Celtics in the previous game, Game 3, or excuse me, Game 4 of Warriors up and win. 107-97 behind Steph Curry's 43 points, 10 rebound performance. I'm on the, uh, the bandwagon and belief that Steph Curry is without a doubt in question if he wins this ring a top 10 player in basketball he's completely uh, changed the game of basketball when it comes to how the game is played it used to be back in the day t-mac vince carter sean kemp all these big time dunkers you know and now it's all about threes cases you know people just come into the league jacking up threes it's now how, how the league goes um, I don't watch as much basketball anymore because honestly, I preferred the old school basketball, not to date myself in any kind of former fashion. You know, the days of Kevin Garnett, Tim Duncan, uh, all those powerhouses, the, 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 the Twin Towers. It was fantastic basketball back in the day. Not saying it isn't now, but it seems like it's more of a shooting competition than an actual exhibition of talents. With that being said, though, congratulations to Steph Curry and Golden State for winning game four. Game five is tonight. See what happens. I picked the Celtics to win the series, but currently the Warriors have all the momentum going back home to, to, to the Oracle. So congrats to them. We'll see what happens in game five tonight. Veteran running back David Johnson, who previously played with the Houston Texans, is in on a visit with the Saint, uh, with the New Orleans Saints. Be curious to see what happens to that. Uh, Mark Ingram was a running back last year and for the last few years. Uh, he did touch and play a little bit with the Baltimore Ravens. But when it comes down to overall production and the youth and what they're looking for as an AK Compliment with Alvin Kamara out of the backfield. I believe David Johnson would do better overall with the Saints than Mark Ingram. Chiefs re-signed veteran swing back Jarek McKinnon today to a one-year deal. Kind of a scat back, you know, a receiving specialist back. Not overly known for running in between the tackles. He did show a little bit of promise with that last season. But overall, how with how the Chiefs run their offense and how Andy Reid schemes everything, Having a scat bat like that is a very, very important piece for their offer for the weapons, especially with them losing Tyree Kill in a trade to the Miami Dolphins, even though they netted five draft picks out of it. And we finished today with Terry McLaurin skipping OTA or a mini camp, excuse me, for the Washington Commanders. Interesting what happens with this situation. I honestly think that Terry McLaurin might get traded just due to the fact of how they play and they have a good running back in Antonio Gibson, JD McKissick, ex Seattle Seahawks has been a really nice addition to that backfield. But unfortunately, they don't really have any other wide receiver options. They have that Curtis Samuel, ex-Carolina Panther. So they have quality players, but overall with how the system goes and how Ron likes to keep their, their coaching scheme in general and how they like to run the ball and be a very uh, balanced attack, Terry McLaurin just doesn't have the ability to have high production upside for stats-wise, which obviously is wide receivers, which you get paid for. He is represented by the same company or the same agency as DK Metcalf and Debo Samuel. Obviously, DK is also holding out due to contract. It's kind of the running theme right now for multiple receivers in that same timeline. So we'll see what happens with that. A couple of teams to watch that could be interested in Terry would be possibly, I got the Colts, 
even the Saints, depending upon what happens with, with Michael Thomas, and even like maybe the, the, the Baltimore Ravens would be really interesting. They did uh, draft the wide receiver overall after they traded uh, Hollywood Brown to the Cardinals. So we'll see what happens with that. That's today's Around the World section. Normally I have a little bit of a longer one, but after the LIV coverage I did in the previous podcast, we're going to keep it a little bit shorter for the Around the World section. But we got a whole lot of Mariners, and with that, talking about the Mariners, let's just jump right to it. Unfortunately, the Mariners lose two out of three to Boston this weekend. There's a couple good highlights along the way, obviously. Uh, Julio Rodriguez with the big-time home run to left field. His, his pull power is absolutely incredible. Continues to show the entire league how much of a superstar he's quickly becoming. Uh, Dylan Moore, though. Wow, of all people, you know, and I'm not going to lie. I've been on this podcast, and I've been, not been the huge, uh, the biggest Dylan Moore supporter. I'm not in the Dylan Moore fan group club, whatever you want to call it. Just because he's very inconsistent. He does have a really good glove. He's got a pretty decent arm. It's just his bat's never really been able to match his other uh, skills and abilities. But that's great to see him get, get a walk-off, get some more confidence. We need him to be able to hit the ball more consistently than he's been able to in order for the bottom of that lineup to lengthen out. And part of the bottom of that lineup is about Cal Raleigh. Last podcast, I told you guys that I want to talk a little bit more about Cal Raleigh and his, his progress in the last couple of weeks. He's doubled his WRC, which is wins runs created. So 100 is league average. Two weeks ago, he was 45. He's now up to 87. So he's, he's nearly doubled his WRC the last two weeks. He's had five home runs the last two weeks. Really been hitting the ball hard. He, what, uh, what Scott's been talking about specifically with Kyle Raleigh was that he's always had the glove and the ability on the backstop to be a good defensive catcher. It was always about having the offensive production at the plate with his stick is what matters most because the bottom of this lineup is such a gray area in a hole, unfortunately, still. Abraham Toro had a couple nice moments, set the table for Dylan Moore's walk-off and everything. But unfortunately, they just haven't had the ability to have consistent offensive production at the bottom of their lineup in general. Trammell had a good start. He's, he's cooled down recently. You might see him get sent down here soon if he does not be able to figure it out. Not that we have another good replacement for him at this time to play the quality of defense he does in, on, on the corner outfield and right field. But overall, I like what I'm seeing from Cal Raleigh. He's been able to, like I said, he's, he's boosting his, his WRC. He's having a shorter path to the ball, which Scott has also talked about with, with Cal in general. Because in order for Cal to be an offensive, consistent player, he needs to have a shorter swing. He had a loop in his swing last year, which kind of caused a lot of uh, teams to just pitch him into his loop area. Kind of like what we're seeing with Julio Rodriguez with pitching low and inside. You know, it's kind of hard to, you know, dip those hands in, get the barrel of the bat to that in general. So we'll see what happens in this upcoming series versus Minnesota. He had a decent series versus Boston, had a couple of hits, a couple of walks, but having the power for Kyle Raleigh is really what makes him his calling card even more dangerous in the bottom of that lineup. And uh, this all comes down to, unfortunately, the fact that there is no new update on Kyle Lewis or Mitch Hanniger at this current time. A couple of things I saw about Kyle, Tom Murphy were good. He is rehabbing from his torn labrum. Things seem to be going well in general. Uh, it's a, the torn labrum is pretty much he's getting injections right now. He's not opted for surgery, which is interesting because I did post on the podcast a couple weeks ago uh, that it was probable or most likely he was going to to go surgery. But it seems like the injections are helping with kickstarting his rehab process and the growth back into the torn labrum. 
He's been able to swing the bat inside of the cages recently, which is good. Uh, apparently, if everything continues to go well, he might be able to get a little bit of live BP in, which is a great sign because we desperately need him at for his offensive performance. He was white smoking hot coming out of, of the year uh, between the opening series with the White Sox, the Twins, and all of that jazz. So really hopeful for Tom Murphy. We need his presence. We need his bat. All hands on deck. Unfortunately, uh, Drew Steckenrider was DFA'd this weekend. He just wasn't able to really come back to his form that he was last year. A lot of that is due to the lower amount of spin rate, his inability to control, and his fastball velo was down. His stuff just did not look the same as it did last year, unfortunately. That's a huge down. That's a, just a huge sad thing to see. Steckenrider was a big fan favorite for all of us, myself included. So I hope and wish the best for him. Maybe, you know, he can go out, go to a pitching, couple pitching camps, go to talk to a, to a couple gurus, see if he can figure something out, maybe, maybe come back. The problem was is that when he, we signed him this year for his arbitration deal number, it was $3.1 million. We opted to rather use that money in a different direction. Kevin Paolo, who we had sent to the Giants on a similar trade path that we uh, sent Mike Ford to receive Mike Ford back. We, have, uh, we reacquired Kevin Padlow from the San Francisco Giants, re-put him on the 40-man roster, so the 40-man roster is now filled. So we'll see what happens if he's able to make a couple appearances and do something to fulfill his 40-man roster spot, or else I'm sure he'll be quickly DFA'd like he was last time. Robbie Ray was incredibly impressive yesterday. He uh, showed some stuff that I hadn't really seen yet before from Robbie Ray this year. Incorporated a two, that two-seam fastball, considerably more in general which is uh, quite interesting because Robbie Ray was kind of a power pitcher fastball slider mix it's all the way through fastball slider fastball slider and now he incorporated the two C more up on the hands especially on the left-handed pitchers so or the left-handed hitters excuse me and as far as the righties on the tail away from the outside corner of the strike zone because they were just sitting fastball slider, which is why I believe he was getting ro uh, rocked and just destroyed on an almost every start basis. Like I've touched on every podcast, it seems like, when it comes to Robbie Ray. He always has the one inning that everything just goes to crap, for better lack of a saying. I don't know a better way to put it. It's, it's, uh, it's confusing. It's dumbfounding. I don't understand how he can be so dominant and he can strike out the side. And there's always that one bloody inning that Robbie just gets shelled. It was Baltimore, it was Boston, it was Houston. It goes down the list. I think the only the only start that didn't happen was the season, open, uh, the season opener game in Minnesota. And that was just a funky series to, to, to begin with. The Twins do come into town today. I'll cover the pitching matchup at the end of this, of this segment. But overall, Robbie Ray, seven innings pitched, three hits, one walk, four strikeouts. Strikeout numbers were down, but when you're trying to throw more for a ground ball in contact, which Scott Service talked about in his post-game conference yesterday, Robbie was pitching to contact. He was not looking to blow past people, and it turned out to be well for him. I don't know if him being clean-shaven was a part of it, but hey, if it helps you, man, it helps you. Because at this point, we need you to step up and be the, be the $21 million pitcher that we signed you to be in the offseason because it would change everything for us in general. Eric Swanson looked fantastic this weekend coming off of his rehab assignment from his shoulder uh, shoulder issues. Uh, he's just such a godsend when it comes to, to, to the bullpen. I honestly wrote him off years ago. He, he was acquired in that trade for the James Paxton. Uh, unfortunately, the main piece of that, Jesus Montero, was a complete wash, but that's a different subject for a different day. 
Eric Swanson. He's kind of filled that Casey Sadler role this year quite well. He's been that bridge guy, help us get to the back part of the bullpen. Unfortunately, the back part of that bullpen has been Andres Munoz, and he's just not... He's just not it right now, unfortunately. You can throw 101 miles an hour all you want, but when your fastball has an average of 500 against batters in general, his body language is not great. I don't like his lack of confidence. It's like we saw that home run he gave up to Bobby Dahlbeck, and then everything went out the window. He was lucky today to get that, that double play. He got out of the inning the way he did, but Munoz, I think, needs more time in AAA. But the problem is when you throw that hard and you go down to AAA, you're going to blow past dang near everybody. So being able to build some kind of a sense of confidence and a different repertoire. I think he needs a third pitch. A splitter I think would do him a lot of good. Uh, he already has a good slider, obviously. That's his best pitch. Throws it 65% of the time. But overall, I think he needs a third pitch, and I hope to see he goes down soon. That would probably mean that Ken Giles takes his spot, but we'll see what happens. Anthony Misevich was sent down. Uh, Rowenis Elias was brought up this weekend, so curious to see what happens to that. Rowenis did not look bad at all. Fastball had good, had good pop, good velo, 94-95. Seemed like he had good control on his pitches in general. Got a little bit of a longer leash with him in general because he's able to throw the ball, longer stamina, cover more innings, innings eater, which we really need, especially when we have like, uh, you know, George Kirby gives us five innings or something along those lines. Marco gave us five innings. Then we need somebody to come in throw for two innings so we can get to Swanson, get to Castillo, and get to Paul Seawald. Paul Seawald just not really looked like himself recently. I think he just needs a couple days off, just kind of, you know, reset mentally, get his body fresh. Castillo continues to look just incredible, which is exactly what the, the Castillo we traded for last year when we sent JT Chargois to the Tampa Bay Rays. So curious to see what happens with Paul Seawald. Overall, though, Chris Flexen, we need you to step up today versus Chris Archer. Uh, Jesse Winker had a pretty good series. Nice home run to see him for, for Jesse Winker. I don't understand how he can hit left-handed pitchers like Rich Hill, but he can't touch righty when we brought him in and he was a right-handed masher. But I think if he can hit a lefty this well and if something can click with him, I know he's been taking an excessive amount of BP before the games, just trying to get right. You can see it, especially in the outfield. He looks more confident. His body language looks a lot better, so hopefully this is kind of the week, the series that Winker can come out. Chris Archer is not a, fla a flashy or a fancy pitcher by any means. He's got a three-pitch mix, fastball, slider, changeup. He's not. He's just gonna, you know, put his. He's, he's, he's gonna try to locate his spots for better lack of a term. He's not. He's gonna be like Marco. He's not gonna blow past you. He's gonna try to be crafty. He's gonna work around you. He's gonna try and frustrate you. So let's just stick to, to a game plan. See if we can't get it done. And yeah, that's pretty much it for, for, for the Mariners segment this week. If there's anything you guys want me to cover, I got a new, uh, I did a podcast or a section on the previous podcast called State of the Union and uh, State of the Farm. Pretty much we cover everything that's been going on through the minor league organizations. After I get through this move, which will be this week, I'm going to have a new episode, or new podcast specifically talking about which prospects are just tearing the cover off of the ball in our minor leagues, who's struggling, timelines, all that good stuff couple of things in the Seahawks I'm going to touch on to, and then we're going to hop out of here today. Chris Carson was on the Field Goals uh, podcast this week, and he was talking about his rehab from his surgery. He says that he's mentally in, in a good spot. He's consistently just trying to keep his body in shape the best way he can. Unfortunately, he doesn't really have any true update on his progress because he has to wait two weeks for a medical exam through the Seahawks organization and field doctors. So we'll see what happens out of that exam. That will kind of tell us what more to expect out of Chris Carson and whether or not 
uh, he's going to be able to get on the field for Seattle this season. I just don't see it's going to happen myself personally. Spinal neck fusion surgery happened with both Camp Chancellor and Cliff Averill. Both of those careers unfortunately ended. And the style in which Chris Carson plays, aggressive, downhill, very, very strong in between the, the uh, tackles. It's just, uh, it's not exactly a recipe for success for him, especially coming off of that kind of a scary surgery in general. And then I got this, uh, I got this topic for everybody. I heard this. I'm really curious what people feel about this, right? Lewis Riddick of ESPN and the NFL Network stated he believes the Seahawks should be interested in Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, no, I don't want any piece of Jimmy. I don't want any idea of Jimmy. I don't want any dreams of Jimmy. I don't want to see a Jimmy Garoppolo Seahawks jersey. I don't want none of it. Yeah, Jimmy, you've had a good career. You got a good jawline. You came from the, from the Patriots. You were supposed to be Tom's little heir to his throne, yada, yada, yada. You know, Bill Pelichick's golden son. But this is this is with the real skinny when it comes to Jimmy Garoppolo, ladies and gentlemen. The man has been injured for almost every year of his career and missed four games or more every season of every season of his career. Excuse me. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, the infamous Baker Mayfield that I cover and touch on all the time because it's a hot topic of all kinds of subjects, conversations, and tribulations across the fields. I just don't see how Lewis Riddick, and I respect the heck out of Lewis Riddick. I think he's a damn good commentator. He would be an excellent GM. I think he will fit in well if he did, does indeed get the job at Pittsburgh. There's been some rumorings that Pittsburgh is indeed interested with him for a GM position. Once it becomes available, him and Mike Tomlin would be a powerhouse over there in Pittsburgh. And when they drop the Kenny Pickett. But I just don't see it. Jimmy G's coming off of surgery on a throwing shoulder. That's a lot of question marks. And right now, we have Baker, or we have Geno Smith, excuse me, and Drew Locke. Obviously, neither one of those two quarterbacks are anything to bat an eye at or actually, you know, have any kind of faith in. They're both backups. Unfortunately, that's just kind of the, you know. That's just the lay of our land, for better lack of a term right now. We don't have a good quarterback situation. I don't want to pay extra money for, for, for Jimmy. I want to save money on, on the cap. I would rather, I don't want to use the term tank, but I'd rather take a year off, maybe get you know five or six wins, as long as we can beat Russell Wilson week one. That's all I give a damn about. And uh, just kind of smear it in Russell's face because I'm sick and tired of hearing about Russell Wilson and Broncos country. Let's ride. It's disgusting. I should just rinse my mouth out with, with, with Listerine. Anyways, that's how I feel about things. Jimmy, don't want you. Ain't going to be nothing. Don't want to keep hearing it. Lewis, I know this is you trying to make content for, for your network. Come on, brother. See, like, the light of day. The coffee's burning. You know, pull it off of, pull it off of the old pot. Let's, let's, let's figure it out. Mariners, let's get a win today. Chris Flexen, Chris Archer, Chris versus Chris. With that being said, that's today's podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed the pod. If you like the content, if this is your first time listening again, please subscribe. If you enjoy anything, drop me a rating down in the comment section below. If there's anything you guys want me to cover for upcoming podcasts, please let me know. And with that being said, as we always get off with this podcast, see us rise.